After the sermon, we will sing hymn 84, 1, 2, 3, and 4. The text of this message are the last three verses of the longer passage we read. Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17. Let me reread them. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I bring you greetings from brothers and sisters in Quebec. Please, if you ever would like to take a trip, come and visit us. It would be wonderful to have you come and be with us. Though we speak a different language, it is a very beautiful thing to celebrate the promises of our Lord together. This morning I'd like to speak about thankfulness and why thankfulness is so important in the Christian life. In preparing this message and thinking about thankfulness, I thought why, for me, and perhaps for you as well, it can often be so hard to be thankful. I note a little irony, and that is, sometimes it's very easy for me to be thankful for little things, but yet, bigger things, things that really, truly are radically good in my life, I perhaps remember them all too infrequently, or I'm not thankful for them. So it's, it's easy for us, almost automatic for us, to say thank you to someone who holds the door open for us. Thank you to someone who does some little thing for us. It's almost automatic, very easy. But yet, when something, someone does something much larger, and especially as, as we know, when Christ does something so radical for us, often the words of thankfulness do not easily come to our lips. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, said that thankfulness is the fundamental attitude of the Christian life. Jonathan Edwards, another reformed theologian, said, Gratitude is one of the most important signs of true religion. Why is thankfulness so important? And, and perhaps why also is thankfulness so difficult to express sometime? Our country tells us to be thankful at least once a year. On, in, on January the 31st, 1957, our government said, and this for all parts of Canada, that the second Monday of October of every year, we will have a day of thanksgiving to thank the Almighty God for the blessings on the people of Canada. We are encouraged to give thanks once a year. Should that be enough for us as Christians? Obviously not. Paul is telling us to be thankful in all things at all times. In this message, I want to draw your attention to three things in the text. First, the problem of hard hearts 
and spiritual death. Second, God's radical grace and spiritual life. And finally, what voice that God gives us to express our thankfulness. Thankfulness, you might be surprised to know, is not necessarily a word that can be easily found in Scripture. Now, I say this not because that it's, it's found in, in English, but in fact, in the Old Testament, there's not one specific word that translates directly into give thanks or be thankful. In fact, many of the psalms that we, that we read, that we sing, the word is not necessarily exactly thankfulness. But usually it's either the word for praise the Lord or celebrate the Lord. And these words sometimes are translated, and I think rightly, into what we would understand as give thanks. You might know the word alleluia, praise the Lord. Well, sometimes that, that word is translated a little bit different. It's sometimes, it says, sometimes it's translated as give thanks to the Lord. Or in other verses, it is uh, translated as celebrate the Lord. Take, for example, Psalm 106. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Psalm 106. The very first verse. In English, we have, Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, a few weeks ago, I was called on to give a, uh, a, a series of retreats on Thanksgiving. And I thought, well, this will be very easy because I can go through Psalms and find everywhere where it says Thanksgiving or give thanks and highlight those Psalms. However, in doing my reading and doing it in French, I realized that this word thanksgiving is not in French. And I thought, well, what happened to the word? In French, the first verse is translated the same way, praise the Lord. The second is celebrate the Lord. As I said, because the Hebrew in, in these verses has a range of meanings. Two things were surprising in this. First is that in the Old Testament, this word give thanks doesn't seem to be there. But yet, when we actually read the verse, when we know what thanksgiving is, especially as we're going to see from the New Testament, we realize that thanksgiving in the Old Testament seems to always be tied to celebration. That there is a, a natural reaction to thanksgiving. That when we want to give thanks to God, all of the psalmists say, the best way to give thanks to God is celebration, is praise something very beautiful. It's a kind of giving thanks. The celebration and praise. Giving thanks to the Lord is not simply saying every once in a while, yes, God, thank you for what you've done. Uh, that was very nice. But it's a celebration. It's much larger than that. It's something that, that encompasses, uh, uh, that is something deeply spiritual and deeply vibrant in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, very interestingly, there is a word. And it's a word that's used by the Apostle Paul more than any other, uh, any other writer in, uh, in his time period, in, in the first century A.D. 
he uses a word which you probably know in, in some way in, uh, in, uh, in English. Some Christian churches call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist. Churches that, uh, other churches use this word for the Lord's Supper. Well, the word itself comes from the, the, the Greek eucharisteo, and I don't uh, mean to give a Greek lesson here at all. But my point is that this word, when, when they use this word, the Eucharist, what it means is giving thanks. That there is a specific word in the New Testament for this giving thanks, and Paul uses it a lot. He uses it 46 times in the various uh, letters that he writes. And here we have in Colossians 3, one of the, the closest groupings of this word. Paul wants to underline that this thanksgiving, and a thanksgiving that's not just, uh, not just a, a, a small emotion, but one that we see in this Old Testament is a big celebration, that a thanksgiving is celebratory, is giving praise to God, that this is at the heart of what it means to walk, to live as a Christian. In the Christian life, sometimes we forget this. Perhaps you, I know for myself, we think about many other things, but perhaps sometimes we, we forget to be as thankful as Paul is calling us to be thankful. It seems to me the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism, in this sense, got it right. They got it profoundly right in ways that help us think about the Christian life. Questions one and two of the Heidelberg Catechism questions that I think you probably know very well. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I'm not my own but belong with body and soul both in life and death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. That and the rest of this answer is an amazing series of, of assertions about how important God is. And questions, uh, question and answer two. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sins and miseries are. Second, how I'm delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such a deliverance. Thankfulness is this third part of being able to live in and die in the joy of this comfort. Thankfulness is an integral part of living faithfully before God. Why is it sometimes so difficult to be thankful? I think on one level, uh, some books that I, that I have read, some authors uh, say, and I think there's much truth to this, but in our society, strangely, it's our abundance that often makes us uh, have so much difficulty to be thankful. That we spend so much time working towards the stuff we want to buy, the places we want to visit, the vacations we want to take, thinking about our boats and cars and cottages and all the other great blessings the Lord has given to us, that we indeed are never satisfied with what we have. There's always something else that we think we need, always something else that we want deeply in our hearts. We are never satisfied and therefore never get to the point of being thankful for what we already have. This chronic ingratitude, it seems to me, is, a, is something that's part of our society. And we living in the society can't really get away from it. That we always want something else, want something more 
and the things that we have are never enough. Ingratitude certainly is damaging for us in general. It certainly is damaging for our relationships. If husband and wife are not grateful to each other, bitterness sets in. When brothers and sisters and friends are not grateful to each other, relationships are nothing but superficial. Even more in our relationship with God, when we are not grateful, we lose something of the heart of the Christian life. If Luther says gratefulness is the heart of the Christian life, it's the most important sign of the true religion, well, what indeed is the Christian life without gratefulness? Without gratefulness, we have bitterness. We are overly critical of others. We cannot show love. Paul helps us think about this. This is the the heart of this first point I want to underline. Paul helps us think about this in Colossians. The Colossian church was uh, a church that was mixed. There were some Greeks. There was uh, a few Jews in the church. And overall, the community was not necessarily agreed on how to live the Christian life. And there was indeed bitterness. There, There were tensions in that church, and they needed to know how to live. And so Paul writes this letter. And what does Paul encourage? Well, in this context, he encourages thankfulness. But why? In what way does he encourage thankfulness? He wants to highlight something that is at the heart of understanding why the good news, the gospel, is such good news. Paul says you need to be thankful because what Christ gives is not simply some little magic pill that you take that that heals you from from a a spiritual cold. Or perhaps you you sort of broke your spiritual leg and and, and Christ gives you a crutch to, to walk on. Or perhaps even uh, you have a spiritual cancer and, and Christ, he, he gives you spiritual radiation therapy or, or the list could go on. What I'm saying is Christ does not heal someone just uh, only who is sick. Sin is a sickness. But in this context, he says it's much more radical. Our state of sin is death. That we are dead in sin. We can do nothing, says Paul in this. And if you want to understand how to live the Christian life, you need to understand that Jesus did not take you from sickness to health only, but Jesus took you from death to life. That you have been raised. It's nothing less than being born, indeed being born again. It's even actually more radical than being born a first time. That you are profoundly excluded from life. So you as Colossians, he's saying, remember that when you professed Christ, when you professed to live in Jesus Christ, you are not simply professing that somehow now you have this new uh, uh, friendship relationship with Christ or, or it's somehow uh, just some little change in relationship happened. You professed that in Christ you now are alive. Not on your own merit, not of your own power, 
but entirely of the power and the merit of Jesus Christ himself. So what does that mean? There's a practical thing here Paul is saying. That in fighting sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, uh, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying, all of these things are not things that simply want to weigh you down, little things in life that sort of drag you, drag you down. These things kill you. These are indicative of death, says Paul. What happens? Jesus Christ raised you to life. This is our second point. That we can talk about God's grace and spiritual life. You are not simply healed, although there, was, there, there is a way of speaking of it as such, but in this passage, it's not simply being healed, but being raised to life. And therefore, all those old things of the old nature need to be put to death, says Paul. Rid yourselves of these things, because now your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a beautiful image. What a beautiful image that we are not our own but belong to our Savior. We live and breathe and have our being in Him. So what is the Christian life, Paul is saying? In fact, it's sort of the opposite of the life without Christ. There's a simple way of thinking about it, that the life with Christ is getting rid of the old and putting in the new. Getting rid of one thing and bringing something in in its place. You get rid of all the old things, the evil desires, greed, uh, lust, slander, malice, rage, all those old things. And what do you put in its place? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He uses this metaphor, indeed, of clothing ourselves with those things. That all the old things, perhaps, were an old set of clothing or even nakedness. And now, this, the new kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, we are clothed with it. Interestingly, I think, there's a way of thinking about the non-Christian life that is basically exactly the opposite. That is, taking all that is good and putting that aside and putting something else in its place. It's an easy way to think about idolatry, actually. Idolatry is not simply uh, making, taking a piece of stone and, and making it into some sort of idol thing and, and bowing down before it, although that truly is idolatry. But idolatry, Paul would say, is putting anything in the place of God. That is, God should be the center of your life, but you've moved him aside, you've put him away in the closet, and you've put something else there. Now, indeed, it can be a, a real, actual idol. For many people in this world, it is. They actually have things of stone or wood that occupy the center of their imagination. I would assume, however, that in our culture, in our society, what happens very often is our work or our money, our jobs, even good things, uh, the, all these good things, which in their rightful place are good, they can occupy our attention and they become our gods. Christ, in uh, Matthew 6, says, you cannot have two masters in this life. Either one will be in the center and you put the other one away, or the other will be the center and you, you put the one away. 
You cannot serve, he says, both God and money. Paul is saying the same thing. There is an old life and new, night, uh, new life. There's not some gray area, some half, uh, half alive area. Either you are alive in Christ or you are dead in your sins. There is no other place. There is no other place to live. And Paul says, dear Colossians, you have professed this, so live this. Live this and know that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads you forward in this life, who gives you the, the energy and the strength to live this. But it's not just a moral lesson, one could say. It's not just don't do that and do this, although these are commands of the Lord. We've heard the ten words of of God's covenant this morning. These are commands of the Lord. We must live this way. But he says something which I think is is striking and is, I would say, very beautiful. And it is something that makes the good news such a joyful thing to hear. That all of this, this struggle, it seems, between death and life, is something already accomplished by Jesus Christ. We are, he says, when in Jesus Christ, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We can allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. And above all things, we can be thankful. I find it very interesting that this thankfulness is is spoken of three times at the end of this passage. That we are three times called to be thankful or have gratitude at the end of this. That, that our response to hearing about the, the passage from death to life is not simply, oh, that's, you know, that's interesting. Yes, I'm, I'm glad I read that in a book. But Paul calls us to that life of thankfulness. And as we've seen in, in, briefly in the Old Testament into the New Testament, this life of giving thanks. It's not something that that simply we do in private, but in fact he's calling the the Colossians to come together, to give thanks together, to celebrate the name of the Lord together. In all things you do as church, he says, be thankful. In all things you do as individuals, be thankful. In whatever you do, be thankful. I end with a third note, though. God gives us a way of expressing this thankfulness. Now, I, I, this might sound a little bit, a, a little bit strange, but it, just let me give a, a few examples. We know that being thankful can be expressed in different ways. Our gratitude can be expressed in different ways. If we're walking into the mall and someone holds a, the door open for us, uh, a normal way of responding would be, thank you very much. That was really nice that you did that for me. It would be very appropriate to say something like that and I encourage you to do it. I encourage you also to hold doors open. But it wouldn't be appropriate seems a little strange if you would run up to that person and give them a big kiss and a hug. That wouldn't be appropriate seems to me. For holding open the door there are appropriate ways of giving thanks. Thank you. Thank you for holding open the door. There are inappropriate ways. But then I think When my wife or my children do something for me, if I simply would nod my head and say, yeah, thanks. Well, on one level, that's not so appropriate. In fact, what's really appropriate appropriate for 
for husbands and wives is to thank each other with, with a hug and a kiss or with children, a great big hug and a kiss. That is very appropriate. It's a very beautiful way of showing thankfulness. That is, in the one situation, in these two little examples I give, uh, they're silly, uh, small examples, but what I'm saying is there's different ways of showing thankfulness. That we don't just show thankfulness in whatever sort of willy-nilly way when we show thankfulness, but we are called to be thankful in certain situations in different ways. What I'm getting to is our relationship with God. That we should, we should look in Scripture for what God is, how God is calling us to be thankful. Indeed, there are many people who say, well, the best way I can show thankfulness to God is indeed to make a statue, to go up on some mountain and build a temple, to do some other uh, ceremony or, or whatever. In, in many world religions, that's how they do it. That they make up some sort of ritual themselves and say, I think this is a good way to be thankful. And from the beginning to end of scripture, we're called to be thankful, not on our terms, but on God's terms. How does God want us to show our thankfulness? How does God want, want us to show this joy so that we're not distracted by the thing we are being thankful for, but we indeed are showing true thankfulness? What voice do we have for being thankful? And it seems to me Paul tells us the answer. And be thankful. Then what does he say? And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That being admonished by the word and singing these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in all thankfulness this is a very good and appropriate way of showing thankfulness. It's what we're doing here this morning. That we are here not just to pass an hour together, but we are here because we are before the Lord our God, and we are giving thanks. So what does this all mean? What should we ponder this week as we go forth from the Lord's house? Well, most importantly, to ponder the passage from death to life. To remember that you are not simply knowledgeable about Christ somehow, but you are in Christ. If you have professed Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. You are living in him. You have passed from death to life. Therefore, live in a way that is rooted in this joy. Secondly, are you thankful? Are you here this morning because you have nothing more in your heart that you want to do than to say thanks to the Lord that brought you to life? That is why we are together, to give thanks to the Lord. I think it's also a beautiful thing in context of a baptism. One of the things we can hear in the form, what we can see in the sign and seal in baptism, is the, the radical nature of God's bringing us from death to life. 
That is what is uh, signified in this baptism. That's what we learn from the, the baptismal form. I encourage you as parents, I encourage all parents here uh, together with us, I encourage us all to not only teach our children thankfulness, but to model for them this life of thankfulness. This is perhaps one of the greatest things you can give your children to give the next generation, a heart of thankfulness. That is, that we are not our own, but we belong in body and soul to our faithful Savior. And he has given us all things. So Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.